Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series at the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to the new episode of the FEPS Talks. Uh, this week, Brussels talks about nothing else but the question of fundamental values, the question of the rule of law, and what to do where democracy is in peril. We couldn't have possibly thought about anyone better uh, to explain what's going on, what is to be expected, than Thijssen Reuten, a member of the European Parliament, who is also a very dear and devoted friend of FABS, whom uh, we have been having an honor to host at a number of the activities. Uh, his former career makes him very knowledgeable about the regional and local politics, as he has been a member of the City Council of Amsterdam, and also very, very much experienced when it comes to the uh, challenges and quests for democracy in different EU. EU, but also not only EU member states, since he served as a head of policy at the Global Reporting Initiative. Last but not least, Thijs also served as a special advisor to Franz Timmermans by the time Franz was responsible for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So he is incredibly experienced and incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to international law and diplomacy. Thank you so much for finding the time and being with us in such a tense week. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Let's dive into the issue right on. A very heated debate inside of the European Parliament. Entire Tuesday morning in Strasbourg taken by one subject only. Uh, rule of law, uh, primacy of the European uh, law over the national one or vice versa. And the discussion with the Prime Minister of Poland and the President of the European Commission. Could you tell us what exactly has been happening? So much is to be heard about that. Well, the good news, I think, is that it was a good debate uh, in terms of the participation of uh, all political groups. Um, the good news was also because I was a little bit fearful about the behavior of uh, the Polish prime minister uh, prior to the debate. He stayed the whole debate. So even when it was my turn, the prime minister was still uh, there to listen to the parliament. However, he was quite disrespectful towards the parliament. He used up 35 minutes of speaking time, uh, which is not only unusual, but also, uh, I think, rather disrespectful, as I said. But my biggest concern is actually also that he disrespected his own population because his main goal was obviously to speak over our heads to his Polish audience. And I think it is disrespectful also to his own people because he fools them. He lies. He brings lies to the parliament. He shows a picture of a statesman that uses lies, uses deceiving to operate in the political arena in the highest democratic body of, uh, of the European uh, Union. And I think that Poland deserves better. I simply think that Poland deserves better. So issued all kind of allegations also towards us, towards other European member states. And um, in, in this respect, it was uh, also a big disillusion because this is not what you expect from a statesman. Well, let's look at that a bit closer because indeed, as you said, uh, 35 minutes, um, this sort of uh, very twofolded way of uh, narrative on one side, portraying the country uh, that he represents, Poland, as a victim of uh, some sort of a consolidation attack. On the other hand, uh, this uh, sort of uh, threats and allegation and, uh, you know, blackmail language, one could even say. So what's at the core of the matter? Why did it erupt it now? Why, why did he have to come to the European Parliament? And what that is that the European Union knows about what's happening in Poland? Well, it is important also for everyone who did not follow the situation um, uh, that closely to understand that this is not new. This started many years ago. 
because you cannot overturn an entire judiciary system overnight, uh, even in Poland. So they started already in 2016 firing judges, nominating their political friends in the judiciary, but also involving themselves as a government in asking rulings uh, from the constitutional court, creating sham uh, constitutional tribunal chamber, uh, especially also to influence further the judiciary, the nomination of of new judges, etc., etc., take disciplinary action against your own former independent uh, uh, judges. So this has been going on for a while. And as one of the commentators in Poland rightfully said, and I, I, I like the quote, it was also used in the debate, by a colleague, it is a political hit job dressed up as a court case. Because if it would be a genuine judicial difference of opinion between a member state and uh, the European Court of Justice, that would not be so bad. Because that is what a court is for, to settle uh, judicial disputes. But this is, in the end, not a judicial dispute. It is about power, about maintaining power in their own country. And that is typically also a development that we see not only in Poland, that when people rise to power using the democracy, using democratic elections, as the peace did in Poland, and become populist autocrats, as I call them, uh, the first and main concern is not to lose the next elections. So what they've basically been doing is trying to manipulate the system in order to prevent others to defeat them at at the next uh, elections. And, And that is very worrying. Because uh, I do not have anything against differences of opinion based on arguments, based on facts, based on uh, sound judicial prepared arguments. I don't have anything against that. But what's happening in Poland is that the people of Poland get ripped from their democratic rights, from their fundamental rights as women, as LGBT community is. And therefore, I'm worried that in the near future, the Polish people will not be able to choose their own leaders. As I said, I have nothing against that. Nobody is discriminating Poland. Nobody is trying to wrongfully influence Poland. This is about fundamental rights and not only about the rights of the Polish people to elect their own leaders and to be um, well-informed, informed based on facts. But it's also uh, not a matter of Europe against Poland. No, we are actually standing by the Polish people. We are trying to defend the rights of the Polish people. And I also said before that I'm also defending the rights of the people who previously voted for the peace. And I think that's important because to underline that this is not uh, a partisan uh, discussion, uh, as far as I'm uh, concerned, this is about the fundaments of the European Union, the fundaments of our cooperation. And therefore, I'm also defending the rights of of, of people who voted for this government uh, previously, because I think their liberties, their freedoms are also at stake. When it comes to the whole conversation, I mean, of course, we saw it uh, in the floor of the of the parliament. Uh, um, on one side, uh, the position that you've just explained, the position with this in solidarity with the Polish citizens in defense of the basic rights and uh, values has been very strongly articulated. On the other, you had a very aggressive, you can say, appeals of the Eurosceptics who also organized themselves for the debate. Um, and they tried to portray themselves as the defenders of the treaty, right? Uh, they were the ones who said, well, Article 2, Article 5, uh, uh, you know, sovereignty. So 
how can we respond to those claims? Because essentially the, the part of the discussion also now is uh, who decides. And Morawiecki has been quite skillful by saying we are not the only country who discusses the supremacy or primacy of the European law. Maybe good to say that I'm not a legal expert, but many of my colleagues who are and who are very eminent uh, and, and knowledgeable on the judicial uh, question, they repeatedly and soundly explained the difference between what happened in some of our member states with rulings of constitutional courts and what happened here. I also said it in my words, eh, a political hijab dressed up as a court case. This is not a genuine difference of opinion, a judicial difference of opinion. This is political. This is trying to maintain power. Now, back to the people who also applauded almost after every second sentence of the Polish prime minister, uh, mainly from uh, the ECR and ID uh, groups in in the European uh, Parliament. I think that what you also have to understand is that they are mainly also hoping their own agenda to be feeded here. Um, uh, It's their own agenda as well. And that is also based on fake news, on lies, on trying to deceive their own populations. And that is what's so toxic about it. I talked after the debate on Dutch television, and I also had Robert Bidron, the Polish colleague, uh, who, uh, who commented on Dutch television. And we both said that it's ever the more linked to the rule of law crisis in the broader European Union, because this behavior inspires others in the Union, but also outside, because the virus of autocratization, as I call it, is very, very contagious. And it leads uh, to uh, situations within and outside our Union where all kinds of leaders that were came to power perfectly democratic are using the means of this democratic society, the, the values of this democratic society. Oh, they are trying to curb the freedom of media, for example, in Slovenia, but also in Hungary, as we all know. But this inspires people within the union, but also hampers our credibility to the countries outside our union, that we are trying to explain how important rule of law is, how important these fundamental rights are. So that is what you have to see. And then looking at our own our own role in this, I think sometimes, to be honest, that we are also a bit naive on that, also on that particular part of the dialogue. Because we, and that is good, I mean, it's positive that we still want to be in politics based on arguments, based on facts, and we do that. But we we always try to see that sign of positive attitude at the other side of the arena. And I'm afraid that we have to be very clear also about that. They are pursuing their own agendas, and they are not afraid of using false information, afraid of lying. They are not afraid of that. So we have to lose every inch of naivety that might still be in us as well, while at the same time maintaining our own positions. As I said also in my speech to Commission President von der Leyen, it is good that the Commission studies these rulings very carefully, but you also have to insist and pursue swift action, but always be better than the other and maintain your own color and not lower yourself to their tactics. So that is the difficult struggle that we also do eh, in, in these kind of debates, maintaining our own honorable uh, way of reasoning based on facts, based on arguments, uh, while at the same time not being naive uh, about the agenda of others. You know, idealism is always advisable because, I mean, in the end of the day, democracy is, of course, a system. It's a set of values, but it's also a certain ideal that we want to build and continue developing. 
Um, speaking of which, because you said just now, look, but we need to live up to the expectations. We need to deliver. Uh, yes. Now, part of the discussion that was there, we had the uh, foreign minister from the uh, Slovenian uh, presidency saying we absolutely need to act and we want to have a decision on the level of the council um, before the end of the presidency in December. President of the commission also, Evan der Leyen, comes to the floor of the European Parliament and says there are three uh, options we will act. But we know that in the background, there is a struggle between the European Parliament and the European Commission, right, about the effectiveness. And we also know that the European service are saying that the European citizens are absolutely not in favor of uh, investing or helping the countries that uh, uh, violate their basic rules. So what can be expected from this? Because it seems like lots of conflicts on the top of one another. Well, a few a few th- things on that. Uh, yes, the European Parliament has strongly supported and fought for this conditionality uh, mechanism. We have been very patient, I think, with the Commission uh, on that. But if you needed any more arguments, well, this week showed that uh, it is time to activate this mechanism uh, uh, now, not only for Poland, but also for Hungary, in my opinion. Uh, The European Parliament now has taken the decision that it will uh, start a court case against uh, the European Commission, not because we are against the European Commission, but we want them uh, to act. Yeah, so we, we will start a case based on the failure uh, to act. I hope that the commission will still move uh, a little bit swifter, but I was a little bit hopeful after the second intervention by Ursula von der Leyen. The start of the debate was a bit, uh, how can I say, a bit timid from the side of, of, the, uh, of the commission president, but her last intervention at the end of the debate was pretty strong. Let's draw some hope from that. But there's more than just a conditionality mechanism. There are also still the two Article 7 procedures on the table. Of course, they are stuck in the council because the member states, some of the member states, keep each other out of harm's way, so uh, so to speak. But I also urge the Commission uh, many times to be, how, do I, how can I say that, to be very consistent and persistent reacting on every breach of our rules. Because what I've noticed, uh, especially in this new mandate since 2019, is that we the Commission has been a little bit hesitant, eh? Uh, emphasizing more, yeah, we need to continue the dialogue. Yes, of course, we always need to continue the dialogue. But at the same time, we need with every infringement of European values, we need to send a crystal clear, not angry, not too long, but just a crystal clear letter to any of the member states where this happens, also in Poland, to say, look, uh, this is it. This is the term in which you can respond. And then we take action. Very business-like uh, behavior, uh, very uh, correct uh, also from the from the side of the European Union. And then a lot of critics say, yes, but maybe we lose the court case. The facts are that in the previous legislation, when uh, Commissioner Timmermans was responsible for this, we never lost a case. We never lost a case. So I think the European position is pretty strong. So we need to be persistent. And we need to uh, to act on every infringement, not just when it's basically already too late, because that is my uh, the, re- the sentiment that also remains. We have spilled a lot of time eh? because, as I said, this is happening already since 2016 in Poland, in Hungary. It's also not eh, last month's news what's happening uh, there. So it's time to act. As you ask me, what can realistically happen? Yes, I, I hope that the Commission will now come back with a strong and, and, and clear answer. Uh, and obviously... Uh, Many member states, including my own, are very, very strong on not releasing any uh, resilience and recovery funds, as I said also in the debate and afterwards on on different occasions. You cannot say yes to the money and no to the values and the treaties. That is uh, basically summing 
up the whole debate in one sentence. But um, so, yes, I'm, I'm still hopeful because we have to remain optimistic, but we also need some clear signals now uh, very, uh, very shortly. Speaking on the clear signals, and uh, let's, uh, uh, you know, uh, treat that uh, last question perhaps as uh, our grand finale. Thais, uh, you are an extremely uh, pro-dialogue and pro-people's person. Uh, I know that in your different interventions inside of the European Parliament, people always consequently comes first. Now we have the situation uh, in which Uh, we have hundreds and thousands uh, people in the streets of uh, Poland uh, coming and protesting against the ruling, against what's happening. But we had that also a year ago. I mean, this uh, this week inside of the European Parliament, you also had uh, women from the women's strike and the government still withheld. The whole country was in black, the whole country was on the street and still the government uh, prevailed. What kind of hope can we give uh, the people in Poland, in Hungary and elsewhere, realistically speaking, especially that they are so much worried that, uh, you know, the Polish government will not blink and Pol exit is actually to be on the horizon? Well, I, I don't think that these citizens, these hundreds of thousands of people on the streets were mainly there because they were so afraid of a Pol exit. I do not see that happening in the near future because Poland has way too much interest in staying inside uh, the Union. But having said that, I think that they understand very well, more than we might realize, what is at stake. Because not only in the in the past, before turning to uh, the democratic family of nations, but also in the more recent past, they have felt, uh, as you referring to also the, the rights of women, uh, the rights of the LGBT community, they have felt themselves what it means uh, when these rights are, are curbed. And uh, they have a vivid memory of that. So I think they understand more than anyone else what is at stake here. Having said that, I admit that it's going to be an uphill battle. This is not going to be solved in a few weeks of time. That's also why I speak a lot with my Polish colleagues, with Robert Bidron, with the other uh, colleagues here in the European uh, Parliament, because we have to stay on this. This cannot be something that we will have forgotten about in two months' uh, time. Because ultimately, it, it should be about the debate among the Polish people. The Polish people have to come to terms with themselves and say, look, whatever my more conservative opinions on issues are, whatever my support to individual candidates uh, concerns, but what I need to realize now is who I'm going to vote for, who I'm going to trust the democracy, the fundamental rights of my country uh, uh, to. So, yes, as I said, I am always an optimist and I think we can overcome uh, these challenges. We have to overcome these challenges because uh, I want Poland to stay in uh, our European family. And I uh, think that we are fighting on the same side as the big majority, the large majority of the Polish uh, people. But the polls also reflect that uh, there is still a big support for uh, the peace party. That is also related, of course, to the situation at the Polish-Belarus border, which is used, instrumentalized by the Polish government to uh, maintain some kind of support, maybe even to compensate uh, for what was happening now on the rule of law. That worries me a lot. I'm actually going to Poland next Monday together with my colleague from the Greens. And we are going to meet a lot of NGOs. We're going to speak about migration. We're going to, to, to meet members of parliament in Poland also to, to show our support because uh, we need to, uh, to stand shoulder to shoulder, not looking at political differences, differences, as I said, in more ideas about political issues. No, we, this is about something fundamental, uh, our fundamentals of our cooperation in uh, in the European Union. So, yes, optimistic, but also realistic. It's going to be an uphill battle. 
but we're ready for that. We have to take this on because this is about the core of the union. Thijs Roten has been yours and my guest. Uh, Thijs, thank you so much. And uh, I can't possibly express the gratitude as a social democrat uh, for being so strong and standing so tall uh, in what is a fundamental debate of uh, determining what kind of future we want uh, for the community, uh, for the member states, but also for your incredibly humane, respectful and solidaristic approach uh, uh, towards the Polish people for sending all the signals uh, uh, showcasing that uh, there is still time, there is still way. And as long as we remain united, principle-oriented and clear about a better future that we want to choose, uh, still many things are open. Thank you so much. Thank you for fighting for that daily in the European Parliament. And uh, thank you for being with us today. It was a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Anya. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.